and welcome to another episode of In My Sweats with your host, Jay Menz. This is a place where you can learn and laugh with your girlfriends. Welcome to a super special, amazing episode with Kate Swoboda. So let me tell you a little bit about who she is and why you're going to want to listen from now until the end. So she is the creator of yourcourageouslife.com, the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at teamclcc.com, and author of The Courage Habit, How to Accept Your Fears, Release the Past, and Live Your Courageous Life. She helps individuals, teams, and companies see where old, fear-based habits have kept people stuck or started to limit what's possible for an organization and then start creating more courageous lives by getting into the courage habit, a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change. She has appeared in Mind Body Green, Entrepreneur, USA Today, Forbes, Lifetime Moms, The Intelligent Optimist, Business Insider, and more. And her website your Courageous Life was named a top 50 blog for happiness by Greatest. She has spoken at conferences, at seminars, on the topic of courage as it relates to personal development, releasing overwhelm, business and marketing, money mindset, wellness, increasing emotional resilience, and healthy goal setting using habit formation techniques. So that is why... I couldn't be more happy to have Kate on Fearful to Fit because being going from fearful to fit requires courage and requires something completely different with your behaviors and your organization. And Kate, I want you to just tell these wonderful In My Sweats listeners who you are and what drove you to become this courageous life creator? Hmm. Well, the who you are question is what drove me (laughs) to become this courageous life creator, right? (laughs) It's kind of at the heart of it. Um, I mean, I, you know, the, the turning point that I often will turn to um, is what I actually start the courage habit off with, which is this you know, I, I had done all the right things, you know, the dotted of the I's and the crossing of the T's and, you know, done all the things to get the grades and go to college and be on the committees and the extracurriculars and, you know, get the old GPA up and Mm -hmm. a lot of doing, doing, doing. And I actually had the great fortune to have all that hard work pay off and land in the job that I wanted to be in. Uh, And it was all great until the day I realized it was not great. And, you know, some people have like a slow dawning realization. And I guess I was just a little bit, I don't know, hardheaded or something, because I really didn't realize fully that things were not working until this day I'm sitting in this meeting. And it kind of just all descended at once. It was just like, oh, this isn't working. Like I'm I'm just watching these colleagues of mine bicker and, you know, it was right before Christmas vacation and some people were talking about taking on a project and coming back from Christmas vacation with like some stuff to present. And I just felt so tired and I don't know, like this little voice came in that was like, 
I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was like, once I'd heard it, I couldn't unhear it. Mm -hmm. And I think that my story, even though the context of it might be particular to a meeting sitting in a job, um, it's really a common story in terms of a lot of people hitting these places in their lives where they go, this just isn't working anymore. Like I, like I can't even pretend that the things that are making me unhappy aren't making me unhappy because they are, and it's staring me in the face and this is where I am and I have to do something about it. And in my particular case, the thing that was scariest was that I was already good at like setting the goal and going after the goal. My own best choices had gotten me right there. So it was this profound feeling of how do I trust who I am or what I want? Because I thought who I was and what I wanted was this. And it turns out that this is all wrong. Um, and that's where I really had to stop doing, 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 and getting into feeling and getting into way of being. And that meant facing fear. And there was a lot of it to look at. There was a lot of it to look at. So I, you know, had a shift around career. It definitely took time. I'm kind of going over some of the, the highlights here, but I had a shift around career and became a life coach and began working with clients and came to found that actually fear was this really juicy, curious, um, really kind of um, place that I wanted to befriend and that I wanted to help clients befriend. And it was, you know, I, I really learned that fearless doesn't work. Um, there's no one who's fearless, but you can learn how to work with fear, being afraid, still doing it anyway, which is where we get into courage. So that was what I began to focus on and, you know, each other step along the way, the, you know, the book deal and getting to speak and all the other cool things that get to go into the bio, which I still, when I hear my bio, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, how cool that, that <laughs> I've gotten to do that. Like, I'm not sitting over here going, look at me. I'm very like, still kind of geeking out on it. I go, really? I did all that? I did do all that. How great. Um, so, so all those pieces that come together um, are the pieces that are, uh, you know, where I am right now, which is helping people with fear and courage and particularly talking more and more about how we use habit formation to shift out of fear-based habits and into mm. courage-based habits. That is so cool. And I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that you deal with people with PTSD. No, actually, I really? think that, you know, no, no, no. In coaching, I think it's unethical to work with people who have PTSD or um, diagnosable mental health issues, unless there's also a concurrent practice mm -hmm. with a therapist. So if somebody who had PTSD was working with a therapist and they said, I'd like to coach yes. with you, Kate, I'm open to working with, you know, I'd be happy to. Yeah. But, you know, PTSD also affects a different part of, of Mm -hmm. the brain that experiences fear than what I work with. So I work with emotional fear, the insecurity that you're not enough, the fears of rejection, perfectionism that drives you to constantly be hustling and achieving. And PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, actually affects a part of the brain that governs survival. And I definitely think that we can have emotional fears that are tied to our survival in the sense of like a loss of identity and things like that. But somebody who's suffering from PTSD is, is very much when they get, 
when their brain gets into that pattern of fear, it's actually happening in a different part of the brain than the emotional fears that I work with. And it's also something that um, I think really requires the help of someone who's you know, gotten their marriage and family therapy degree mm -hmm. and a license to practice therapy and, and has like a lot more resources than coaching can offer. I am loving that you're saying this because oddly enough, amazingly enough, a lot of listeners have that common theme of PTSD. Um, and so honestly, just hearing you say that will help so many of them be like, well, I've been to coaching and I've been to counseling and maybe a blend of the two, or maybe knowing that that hits a different part of the brain. I'm telling you, just you saying that is going to be so freeing to people experiencing it. Because when you're talking about like you just saying that I go, God, she knows her stuff. This is so amazing. I'm so glad I'm talking to you today. Um, when you had that voice inside your head that was like, I am no longer happy. This is not what I thought it was going to be like when I did dot all the I's and I crossed the T's. What was the first step you took from that moment? Hmm. Well, uh, here, here's the thing I love to share a little bit on podcasts. The first step I took was actually to keep doing more of the same <laughs> thing that I had been doing. And it was my stumbling point. And I, I like to share that. And I'm very public about it because I think that, you know, the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel story where there's a realization and then you change and then like everything's better. <laughs> I love those stories, but in a way they're not like real life in so many ways, right? Like we can have realizations that something isn't working and then do all of the wrong things because it's what we know. And it's about developing a new skill set. So I would really encourage people listening to like think of courage, not as who you are. I mean, first of all, you're not actually born with it. Psychological courage, you're not born with it. It is a skill set. It is a way of being. It is emotional resilience that you develop. And also it's habitual. So our habitual behaviors govern a lot of what we end up doing. And my habitual behaviors when I was sitting at that job had been all about a fear pattern of perfectionism. Mm. So I tried to fear pattern perfectionism my way through my fear. You know, I, yeah. I, I was like, totally like, I need to do something different. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on Craigslist and I'm on you know, the job boards, this was all more than a decade ago. It was quite a while ago, but I was, you know, I'm on like the, the job boards going, what other jobs could I have? And I'm, I'm, you know, starting to catalog and research and make it a whole project. Mm -hmm. And the step that I actually needed to take, which I eventually did take was realizing that I was just completely afraid. And I had to be with the fact that I was afraid or else I was just going to do the same thing all over again because I was trying to like make it more comfortable my, for myself by going into perfectionism. And what I needed to do is just go like, I'm actually completely afraid. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the next step is. I don't mm -hmm. have an, an easy answer to pivot to. Mm -hmm. And that to me is where, you know, that is where I practiced courage. That's it right there. It's not, oh, I practiced mm. courage because I realized it was wrong and I, you know, bravely went in the other direction. No, it's I practiced courage because I realized it was wrong. I didn't have a fast, quick, easy fix mm -hmm. for what didn't feel right. 
And I sat with the fear and willing to get curious about it and explore it and go, why is this coming up? That, that is so spot on to not just like, and then I did this and I had this message. And so from there, I developed a hundred thousand fans and it's like, that can be someone's story, but to actually just sit with that uncomfortableness, the new feeling, it's like, you're right. That is the most courageous thing to do in that moment. Cause you're kind of just like, on your knees to the ground, what the hell do I do next? How do I move forward? And that is where courage comes up. Now, I have um, a question about courage that pertains to firefighters. So do you think that firefighters start having like, they have something different within their brain that they go, I want to run into a burning house or do you think that they want to be firefighters like you know how would you answer that question of just like do they have a different chip inside their brain or have they practiced courage at a different point in their life and that's what makes them want to go towards that career hmm. it's really hard to say but what i here's what i'll i do know okay mm -hmm. um if we're talking about, so it, there's, I love this. There's actually a, a psychology of courage. There's just, there's people who study courage as a psychology and you can probably hear in my voice that I completely geek out on it. I'm like, Oh, give me a, give me an abstract on the psychology of courage. And within the discipline of the psychology of courage, this is why, you know, and I, I talk about emotional courage. There's actually another differentiation of courage that is sometimes talked about and it's called moral courage. And moral courage is what has someone jump in front of, mm. you know, the car or, well, I shouldn't say jump in front of the car because that might be too spontaneous of an act, but moral courage would be the thing that has someone run into the burning building. Yes. And, you know, I, I can't speak with any real authority to specifically firefighters, but what I will say is that from what I understand is that firefighters are trained in multiple simulations where they're taught how to deal with the challenges that are going to come their way mm. and the fires they're going to come they're going to encounter and I've, I've even read read some research about this that then says what can we extrapolate about the moral courage of firefighters to the emotional courage of everyday life and there's this processing model that is used um, I think it's called the Cognitive Effective Processing System, CAPS, C-A-P-S. I'd have to look that up to be absolutely sure. And basically, it is this model where they go, okay, so the brain encounters something that could arouse fear. And then the brain scans for its available data points to go, do I have any tools that I already can draw from for how to confront this fear? And if if the brain does have that, then that actually diminishes fear. So you're, you know, the markers of stress and fear that people might experience like an elevated heart rate and things like that will remain under control. And it's when people scan their brains and go, I don't have anything to draw on in order to confront this challenge, to confront this thing that I'm afraid of, that has people go into like panic or freeze, fight or flight. Wow. And my guess would be that firefighters, because they are trained um, with simulations 
And because they are trained even to recognize things like when the flames of a fire look a certain way, it means maybe this type of material started the fire versus when the flames look a different way, it might mean it's, a, it's another kind of fire. Here's how I react in each of these different scenarios. Mm-hmm. My guess would be that their brains scan and go, do I have a prior data point that tells me how to handle this and what is needed? And that, yes, their brains then do that, which is what makes them all the more capable of being able to go into a high-pressure, high-stress situation like that. And I think there's something very applicable for us as, like, regular Mm -hmm. non-hero human beings (laughs) um, where we can go, oh, okay, like, um, let me see here. I need to have a difficult conversation with my boss. Hmm. I scan and all of my data points tell me that this guy is going to be really difficult to talk to. You know, he's probably going to say that I, it's actually my fault. I haven't been doing enough. Okay. Well, I, I don't necessarily have, hmm, how would I confront that? How would I handle that if he wanted to say that to me? How would I respond? And if you can't think of a way to respond, it's going to intimidate you even more to think of having that conversation with your boss. But if you're willing to follow the fear, if you're willing to go, okay, I don't want to have this conversation. You know, if you hide out, you don't actually follow this thread. But if you're willing to get curious about the fear and lean in and practice courage and go, well, what are my data points? What do I know? What, what tools can I draw on? Then you will probably come up with some other scenario where either you were able to uh, defend yourself when you got an unfair critique Or maybe you've seen someone else do it so you can follow their model for when you get an unfair critique. To me, it's all about, with this emotional courage, how do we look at the patterns that we habitually go into that just keep us recycling the same old fear-based patterns, stories, behaviors, and how do we interrupt those patterns so that we can instead practice courageous habits? Because the more courageous behaviors I'm choosing in my life, the more courageous my life will actually be. (laughs) Wow. That, you know, as you're saying this, a scenario is playing in my head that most women envision where a man breaks into the house and she's in her bed and he creeps up the stairs and he comes in the room and she goes, oh shit, how am I going to handle myself? I didn't have time to get anything. And so as you're talking, I'm like, Well, she would probably not be scared if she knew exactly how to fight back, what moves to do. And so it's like, you know, would you say that part of moving through your fear and becoming more courageous is being prepared for when and hopefully not if these things actually happen? Like, what if you played out the entire scenario and you were equipped with the tools? Would that make your fear? decrease? Well, the, the example you gave deals with some, a threat to someone's physical safety. And again, you know, I'm more in the camp of one's emotional safety. And in the scenario you describe, I, I mean, you know, even though I work with courage and fear, I think if, if the same scenario happened for me, mm-hmm. I would be totally terrified because <laughs> I would perceive a threat to my physical safety. If I have spent 10 years training in jujitsu, I'm probably afraid. And I'm also like 
I'm going to kick this guy's ass if I can. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I can't help, but also want to add in that one of the unfortunate things about the rates of rape and sexual assault in particular that happen in our country, in in the United States, Mm -hmm. in our country Mm -hmm. is that, um, the scenario you just described is actually the least likely one for when women are raped. Women are most often raped by people that they know, people that they trust. And so that's one of the things that, you know, you can't really prepare yourself for. So I I think that if we come back to emotional courage specifically, how do I go after the big dream? If I'm intimidated by the idea of doing something in the name of my health, because I feel really stupid, you know, I feel like I go to the gym and everybody there knows what they're doing, but I have this voice in my head going, you don't know what you're doing. You know, how do I work with those states so that I can actually move forward in my life in a a bigger vision, longer term kind of a way? I do think that preparing for the thing, knowing and preparing for the things that trip you up, if you know that your, your fear pattern is perfectionism, as I know that about myself, it's easier to recognize it when it comes up in the moment. But, you know, if somebody's breaking into my house, I'm not sitting here going, let's see, I'm afraid I'm being a perfectionist about this. I'm like, how do I hide or call the police? Um, and please may the ADT that I pay for every month, like may that alarm actually work. You know, so those are the things that that I think are are happening in those kinds of situations. It's definitely, you know, my my domain is purely in that emotional uh, courage, fear, courage, and how we practice that on, in our emotional lives. I'm glad that you talked about that and differentiated because I think that was that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, but now that you differentiate, like it makes me, and I know that it's going to make other women feel this way too. It makes me feel better knowing that that stat you just shared that like, that's least likely to happen than something else. And so now we focus on the emotional side of fear and courageousness. And that's what I wanted to kind of transition to was what would you say would be the first step you needed to take to start transforming your habits? Knowing the habits that get in the way. That's mm-hmm. the big one. So in, the, in my book, The Courage Habit, I talk about four specific fear patterns that are the most common. One is perfectionism. I already mentioned, a lot of people can recognize that one. Mm-hmm. Another is people pleasing. Another is pessimism, and that is when you go to a place of, you know, you feel, you feel your fear, and then you go to the pattern of pessimism when you are like, oh, well, I got to be realistic. Well, that'll never happen anyway, as if. Mm-hmm. Um, and then self-sabotage. And self-sabotage um, is really, I think, perfectionism, people-pleasing, and pessimism could all be considered forms of self-sabotage, but but I differentiated that category because self-sabotage is like when you have this really great idea and then you tell the absolute wrong person, you know? So if you're, if you're, you know, it's like self-sabotage is if you've decided we were just jamming about this before we started, like I'm a, I'm a CrossFit person personally. Mm -hmm. Self-sabotage is when you're like, I'm going to try CrossFit. And then you go talk to like the least, (laughs) you know, kind of fitness minded person ever. (laughs) And all that person is going to talk to you about is, well, I've heard CrossFit people get this thing called uncle rhabdo where you, your body just completely breaks down and eats its its own muscles. And even though like, that's not even something that is likely to happen. Um, you know, so it's, 
that is self-sabotage. It's self-sabotage is two steps forward, one step back. So perfectionism, people-pleasing, pessimism, self-sabotage. If we want to live more courageous lives, if we want to let go of fear-based habits and create courage-based habits, we have to first be able to recognize when we are stuck in a fear pattern. Because if we just try to push over to the courage, we'll get stuck in those fear patterns again and again and again without even realizing it. What would be the most common fear pattern that you hear? Most people tell me perfectionism. That's the big one. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the one most people will claim. Most people do not want to claim pessimism. And I got to tell you, we all do all of these. You mm -hmm. do them. I do them. We do them all. It's not like I just do perfectionism and I never do pessimism. Mm -hmm. It's not like anybody never people pleases. It's not like anybody never commits an act of self-sabotage. But perfectionism is the one that people tend to have the easiest time identifying and the one that people tend to have the hardest time owning is where they go into place of pessimism. And I think that's because in our culture, we get a lot of messages around no whining, no wallowing, don't be so negative. And so a lot of people feel pessimism and they carry shame about their pessimism and they don't want to be judged for their pessimism. So they don't say anything about their pessimism. <laughs> what a web. Yes, very much so. Very oh, much so. Yeah. So it's, man, I, you're just reminding me of all these sessions I've had over the last few weeks of people sharing that like their brain can sometimes feel like a bunch of spider webs and just, you know, uh, a streak of a web here and there and it's jumbled and it's heavy and it's dark. And then as a happiness life coach, I was taught that you can rewire the brain and you can change habits and you can literally like the mind likes to go negative, 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 and then you can rewire it to go positive. So would you say that replacing a spider web image in your brain, how someone's describing it, would you say that to offer someone a different point of view and say, well, that's great that, you know, that you have this spider web, but what if we looked at it in, uh, as a dream catcher or as a tapestry, like, you know, in, in your field, in emotional courageousness and changing behaviors, would you say that that would be a helpful image for someone to have? Well, it depends on their association with spider webs and with, mm -hmm. you know, dream catchers, right? Mm -hmm. Because some people see spiders as majestic and tenacious mm -hmm. because they keep rebuilding their webs no matter how many times they get knocked down. Mm -hmm. So I tend to go with the metaphor that the client most likes, but I would definitely say that it's possible to rewire our habitual belief systems, our habitual ways of thinking about things. And if those habitual ways of thinking about things tend to be negative, mm -hmm. it is absolutely possible to notice that tendency and interrupt that as a habit and decide to step into um, an alternative. And that's actually part of what the research was bearing out when I was researching and writing The Courage Habit. Mm. There are four things that really stood out in the research. And you can do one of them. You can do all of them. I didn't invent these. This is, like I said, what the research was bearing out. Mm -hmm. And those four things were that when we feel afraid, we need to access the body. 
We need to listen without attachment to our fear. So you listen to it, but you don't attach to it as truth. You reframe limiting stories, and that's where we get into what you just said, which is why I started to explain this piece, mm -hmm. and reach out and create community. And that's, you know, fear thrives in isolation, and it diminishes in community. So when we let other people know, hey, I'm afraid right now, it's actually very good for us to do. It helps how we function. So I'd say that in the, the, the situation that you just pointed to of someone who notices that they have a habitual tendency to be negative and they want to step into the positive, mm -hmm. it's about going, okay, how do I reframe a limiting story? If I have the story that it's not going to work out for me, this isn't positive affirmations. This is just, okay, can I really know it's true that it's not going to work out for me? No, I can't. So how about instead I go, all right, maybe it will work out for me, or I'm willing to try and see where it goes, or I'm curious. Thank you for saying that. That is just, it's so much bigger than I think you even know for someone to just hear something so simple, so broken down, and they can listen to that, hear it, write it down, maybe post it on their mirror or something, and then just like to hear that. And I love what you said about um, isolation and sharing and being in a community diminishes that, that feeling and, and in isolation, you're just like stuck within it by yourself. That is a good reminder that sharing will make you feel 10 times better than just keeping it to yourself. So thanks for saying that. And I wanted to ask one last question of throughout your entire career of doing this, what's been the biggest thing that has surprised you along the way? Hmm. That is a great question. I think what what's been most surprising to me is, I mean, the research into habit formation really, I, I, it's like I knew it logically. I practiced it on some level. I worked it with my clients, but to, to really find that it's so broadly applicable was was helpful for me so um you just really realizing that it, it has the power to transform anything it has the power to transform a relationship like there are habitual arguments that people get into with their partners right same marriage same year or different year same issue like uh, we're still fighting about how to load and unload the dishwasher or whatever <laughs> the, the thing is for the person and it really is like habitual. Like one person does one thing, one person does another thing. The dance of the argument plays itself out. But if one of those parties is willing to interrupt the habitual way that it plays out, everything changes. And I, I mean, I even apply habit formation to how we get my five-year-old daughter to bed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's really, truly applicable in so many different places. And I think it's really powerful to realize that it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're functioning on autopilot and you're just kind of going about your day, doing what you do without any consciousness around it, then you tend to get the same thing over and over. But if you're willing to shift even just a little bit, it can set you off on this new trajectory and I find that to be really positive. And, and these are tools I still use. I'm not a guru over here. I don't have a perfect life. I get stuck in my fear. I'm not about fearless. I'm not about, I don't think it exists. I think everybody feels fear and you work with it as it comes up. And so, 
you know, I'm using it to write my second book. I'm using it to, you know, be on an interview with you. And like, I always get pre-interview nerves, you know, um, I use it to, you know, get through tough workouts in CrossFit. I use it in a lot of different contexts in my life. And I think that when we get really clear and intentional about how we use these tools, they, they just have such incredible impact. Completely agree. And I want everyone to know, Kate, what would be, if someone was just like, oh, what, what Kate is saying is speaking to me so much, um, and they want to know how to be more courageous with their life, would you suggest starting with your book? They could. Um, I love it when people want to read my book. And I think that a, a willingness to just slow down and access the body is a great place to start. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, 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 you know, in the business of writing books and hoping they will be read. So I'm certainly not discouraging <laughs> anyone from reading my book, but I'm also not in the business of trying to push my book on anyone. <laughs> so it's like, you know, start with the tool that's most accessible to you right now, which is everybody listening to this is in a body and has the capacity to access their body, to slow down, to breathe, to go, I feel this sensation in my body. Let me pay attention to it so I can get curious and figure out whether or not this sensation is telling me that I'm afraid or that I'm excited because they can feel very similar. Um, and anybody who wants to, I actually have a lot of free resources at yourcourageouslife.com for the anybody who subscribes to the newsletter, including um, an audio body scan where people access the body and it, it just walks you through how to touch base with with your somatic experience i love that somatic therapy is like one of the best things ever created um lastly if we didn't talk about this at all but i just want to pique someone's interest if they're interested now you train life coaches or you train coaches or tell me a little bit about that I train life coaches. Yes. I'm the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification. Mm -hmm. And um, that's over at teamclcc.com. And we, yeah, I'm kind of wildly excited about the program. <laughs> it's like the dream job I didn't know existed where, you know, you get to work with the participants and offer coaching, geek mm -hmm. out on curriculum design. And this is some of the stuff we talk about. It's like when you're working with your clients, how do you help them to recognize their fear patterns and how habits work in the brain and then apply that to uh, the work you're doing with them. And it's, it's a very exciting thing to be able to do that kind of work with people. So um, yes, I, I train and certify life coaches. It's a, it's a wild, wonderful ride. And is that a ongoing continual sign up or is that like just open certain times of the year? only open certain times of the year. We pretty regularly collect applications from people and then we do a periodic review mm -hmm. um, during one of our open application periods. Cool. Um, and then the program just, it's not an evergreen kind of thing. The program runs once per year and we kick off every January with an in-person retreat in California. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, spend the better part of a year working together and <laughs> um, I don't know. I, th I think of CLCC as being kind of like um, a community family, a chosen yeah. family kind of kind of thing where, you know, it's all about how do we do this work with one another? And 
you know, a lot of what people are, are hearing me talk about here about not doing the guru model. I'm, I'm just like, you know, please let's not have more life coaches who are like, I can fix you. You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't need that in the world. How about we have life coaches who are going, I can be with you. Yes. I can set a container for what you're experiencing. Yes. That is, thank you. Thank you for doing the work that you do. And I can't wait to go check out everything and then go buy your book. Oh, well, tell me what you think and put a selfie out there because I share the selfies, the book selfies. Oh, you got it, girl. Everyone, <laughs> give Kate just an invisible round of applause because we can't see you. But Kate, thank you for being here and sharing everything that you've learned and just literally pouring in. Um, I know that this this is going to change a lot of lives for people. So thank you for being here. No, thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Woo! Okay, everybody. I will put everything you need to know to connect with Kate in the show notes. And I will see you next.